annual mission day in October 2022, we were privileged to have one of our workers from Central Asia with us. He closed the day with ministry from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 through to chapter 4 and verse 6, reminding us that we can keep going in the Lord's service because the God who is with us has given us a message of great power. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Let's hear from him now. I'm going to read the passage in a minute, but before I do, just want to, you might want to be turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Well, but I just give us some thoughts to get our minds going before we read the passage. You must have all seen the words, keep calm and carry on. I have to say, what a rubbish piece of advice. It scores zero on emotional intelligence, has no appreciation for how I'm feeling, and no justification as to why I should. Why should we keep calm and carry on? That's what, just what you should do. You're British. If you sat in any presentation this morning, you'll be aware that gospel ministry is really hard. And the Apostle Paul is not afraid to talk about it. In fact, the letter to Corinthians, we get a glimpse of Paul's relationship with the Corinthian church. It was a difficult relationship. And one of the points he makes in that letter, if you analyze it carefully, is that he says, this is how you know that I'm a genuine gospel minister, because I'm prepared to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And we read about Paul's suffering in chapter 11 of that letter. And there are some sufferings that we'll probably never face. We've talked about dying for your faith. Paul faced prison and flogging. But in that passage in chapter 11, verses 25 to 28, one of the thoughts that's really helped me is that he does talk about the hardships of being flogged, being in prison, real physical persecutions. But then he goes on to talk about what you might call some of the practical inconveniences of mission work. Shipwrecks and traveling being constantly on the move. They're not things specifically that came because he was a Christian, but because he was doing that work, it was some of the practical difficulties that he encountered. And many of us share in some small way effort and discomfort that we have to go to if we want to be engaged in gospel ministry. It's raining on a Friday night in January, and you really regret that you offered to help out with the youth group because you just want to sit at home. It's Sunday afternoon, and you're enjoying a cup of coffee with friends, and you see a newcomer stood, over, stood alone. It's just uncomfortable to go and talk to them. But this is the kind of inconveniences and discomforts that we do face. And in verse 28 of chapter 11, Paul talks about the emotional burden of pastoring people. And if you're involved in any ministry to people, they will let you down. They will hurt you. And as we get involved in walking along other side, alongside other people, we end up walking alongside them in their mess. So gospel ministry is really hard. Paul was not afraid to talk about it. But the key question is, what kept the Apostle Paul going? And that's where we come to today's passage. So I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, on to 4, verse 6. And as I read, try and look for the answer to this question. What kept the Apostle Paul going? You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, 
written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily on the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ it is taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, We have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we pray that your spirit would do that transforming work in our hearts now. Father, we pray that you would enable us to see Christ more clearly, to rejoice in your word and your gospel, and that that would give us the strength not to lose heart and to be very bold. Did you see it in the passage? Verse 12, since we have such a hope, and in 4 verse 1, since we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Well, what is the hope? What is the ministry, the contents of which causes us not to lose heart? Well, I want to look with you firstly from that the gospel message is the reason why we don't give up. The gospel message is the motivation. And we'll look at verses 3 to 18. And then secondly, 
we'll look how the gospel, more briefly, the gospel message gives us the method. So the gospel message is the motivation why. Paul gives us three reasons in this passage. And he does so by comparing it and contrasting it to a law-based or a rules-based ministry that Mo, that, with which he associates Moses. And the first reason he gives, the first comparison as to why we don't give up, why the message is the motivation, is that gospel ministry brings life and righteousness in place of condemnation and death. That's so close to our theme today, life and peace. This is what the gospel brings. But zoom back a bit. What happened when God gave the moral law? What happened when Moses received the Ten Commandments? We read in Exodus 20, the people couldn't bear it. They said to Moses, you go and listen to him. We can't bear it. It's too scary for us. Because when we clearly see what God is like without Christ, it will just make us feel woefully inadequate. That's the same thing that happened to Adam in Genesis chapter 3. When he'd sinned and in the garden, he heard the Lord God walking in the garden. What did he do? He felt ashamed and he hid. In Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah sees the glory of the Lord, what does he say? Woe is me. Seeing God's moral perfection just brings a sense of condemnation and death without Christ. And how do we actually get around that? Has God suddenly become less holy? Have the requirements of his law suddenly been, canceled, suddenly been relaxed because nobody could meet them? No. The heart of gospel ministry is an invitation to union with Christ. And if we were to flick on to chapter 5, Paul would say that God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ in chapter 5, verse 19. He's not counting people's sins against them. So how? How does God do that? How does God not count people's sins against them? Well, the heart of that union with Christ is a great exchange. In 5 verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a great swap where in Christ all the condemnation that is due to us because of our failure to meet God's law is placed on Christ and he takes it to the grave and exhausts it in full. And likewise, all the wonders of Christ's righteousness we get to share in. It's like you were to kind of log in under Christ's login, and you could receive all the benefits that he'd paid for. And then more, Paul talks in chapter 5 about being part of God's new creation, about new life. If we were to read on in 2 Corinthians, we'd see, he'd say again, we don't lose heart because of that. There's a hope of sharing in Christ's resurrection as the reward for his moral perfection. The gospel brings life and righteousness and reconciliation with God. That's why Paul didn't lose heart. First reason is it's such a great message. And just as Adam was clothed in skins by God to cover his shame, just as a a burning coal was taken from the altar of sacrifice to cleanse Isaiah, so in Christ are we cleansed. The gospel ministry brings life and righteousness, and that's a huge encouragement. I just want to challenge you, friends, to to check your ministry. Because unresolved condemnation, ministry that brings unresolved condemnation is not gospel ministry. Paul says, does say in chapter 7 that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and no regret. There is a place for people feeling a sense of guilt. But one of the best advice I had as a preacher was to look out for the deadly bees. What are the deadly bees? 
If the sum total of your sermon is be holy, or be like Moses, or even worse, be like Jesus, you just feel a sense of condemnation. You just break condemnation in your congregation. When you tell someone to do something, the implication is you think they can do it. And then the implication of that is if they don't do it, then it's their fault and they're guilty. That's a ministry that produces condemnation. And gospel ministry is like that. And you think, well, we would never do that. But some of the worst offenders are when people talk about evangelism and mission. There's one course which is very popular in the city I work in. It's a reasonable course about how to share your faith. But then people break into groups and they have a, they're given a target each week to share this message with 10 people. And they come back the next week and they're supposed to say, well, how did you do? And some people have to say, well, I didn't manage to share it with anybody. And then this kind of bit of tut-tutting goes on. And the whole structure of that setup is actually to use shame and condemnation to motivate people to share the gospel. Isn't that an ironic paradox? But some of the worst offenders are mission hymns and mission books. They just leave you feeling really guilty. And that's not, the way, that's not gospel ministry. Paul was not motivated by a sense of condemnation or a fear of shame or guilt. What God has done in Christ brings us life and peace. Therefore, do not lose heart. And the second contrast Paul brings and shows how the gospel message is the motivation is that it's about Christ's heart-transforming power rather than preaching to closed minds. And this is repeated several times in the passage. Paul says in verse 14 that their minds are dull. In verse 15, there's a veil over their hearts. And in verse 4, verse 3, he says their minds have been blinded. It was one of the problems of God's people before Christ was that they knew the requirements of holiness, but they weren't given the power to change. And it's no surprise that minds become dull. What happens when you keep telling someone what to do and they can't do it? They stop listening. They shut down. Their eyes glaze over. They get, just get used to not listening. They become desensitized. You know, we know that nagging someone isn't a great way to get them to change. They just stop listening. And that's what had happened when people just kept hearing God's righteous requirements and were not able to keep them. So how is gospel ministry different? It's about Christ's heart-transforming power. There is in the new covenant the power to change. In verses 3 and 4, he says, the Spirit changes people's hearts. It's not an external transfer of information. It's the internal power for transformation. And that's why Paul says in verse 5, our competence comes from God. It's not about how clever he can explain, how much he can convince you, or how much he can manipulate you by fear of shame. It's about the Spirit working in people's hearts. He says in verses 14 and 16, he repeats it, when someone turns to Christ, the veil is taken away. Is it Christ's transforming power? Is it the Spirit's transforming power? Paul says it's both. In verse 17, when I say one, I mean the other. And it brings freedom. How does it bring freedom? Christ's heart-transforming power. How does it bring transformation? Well, in verse 18, Paul talks about gazing at Christ, that that's what transforms us. And there are two ways of looking at Christ. The first way is looking at Christ, thinking, I should be like that. And in fact, I need to be like that if God's going to accept me. But what does that bring? Condemnation. 
But the second way of looking at Christ is if I have turned to Christ, been united to him, I share, he has taken the penalty for my sin and I share in that righteousness that he has. I look at Christ and say, God sees me like that. Paul says in others of his letters that we are adopted and accepted as children of God in Christ. And because God sees me like that, I want to be like that. I don't know whether you've ever watched little children and the younger siblings tend to copy the older ones because they want to be like that. And I want you to imagine a family where, in fact, the youngest sibling is adopted and he doesn't naturally look like the rest of the family. But he's so excited that he's a part of that family that he looks at his older brother and tries really hard to copy Not so that he can be counted as a part of that family, because he legally already is a part of that family, but because he wants to live out the truth and demonstrate that he's a part of that family. We're accepted as children of God in Christ, and Christ is our older brother. And as we gaze on him, God sees me as beautiful as he is, and I want to live out and express that beauty. I don't know whether you've noticed that as people grow older, they also tend to look like each other. Older couples, have you noticed? They slowly get a bit more and more alike. And the Old Testament actually warns the people of Israel that you'll become like the things you love and worship. And that's a warning in the Old Testament not to worship idols, but you can flip it around. And actually, as we love and worship Christ, by God's grace, we will more and more reflect his image. That's what Paul says in verse 18. The true way of transformation is not seven steps to holiness that I could lay out for you and then make you feel ashamed for not reaching them. Change comes from gazing on Christ through that heart-transforming work of the Spirit. Real change is possible. What a great message. What a great truth. What a great ministry. Therefore, we're very bold and we do not lose heart. That's the second reason we don't lose heart. And just to paint this very practically, I was just a bit disparaging about an evangelism course that used shame and condemnation to motivate people to share their faith. Well, how do you motivate someone to share their faith? This is a massive part of my work with students. Well, have you ever given a nine-year-old boy a Lego set? You will hear ad infinitum about how good it is, how good it's got that bit in it, and we haven't got this guy, we've not had this guy before. They're so excited that they can't help talking about it. So how do we be... um, This is what I think was going on in Paul's life. He was so excited about the ministry that he had, the gospel forgiveness and transforming power that was available in Christ. That's what motivated him to talk about it. And if I want to encourage students to share their faith, the easiest way is to get them excited about Christ. To let them realize, somebody said it earlier just on the platform, they almost nicked my sermon. Like he was just, the message is so great that we want to share it. As we gaze on Christ, we're transformed. Real change is possible. And as we experience that in our own lives, it will give us the energy to be bold and not give up. The message motivates us because it's about Christ's heart transforming power. And the third thing the message motivates us in is it's about constant connection to God's glorious presence and not living off of past highs. This is particularly why it's quite difficult to work this out, but Paul's verse 13 is a bit of a funny verse. He talks about the glory that's fading. It doesn't last. But you need to read Exodus 34 to realize, we haven't got time to read it, that Moses, as God's messenger, had a problem. 
You see, he would go and meet with God in the tent of meeting, and he would come out of the tent and his face would shine. He would give God's message, and everyone would say, wow, his face is shining. We really got to listen, guys. But what Paul tells us is that actually the problem was, was the shiny face didn't last. And with some time, he began to look like a regular run-of-the-mill desert shepherd. And you can imagine when Moses just looked like the rest of them. He said, well, was that really true? Was that really something of God? And it happened when he went back into the presence of God, he got the shyness again, but it faded again, and the authority failed, faded. So how did Moses solve the problem? He came up with the veil. So when he came out, he had his veil up and his face was shiny, and then he shut it so that no one could see that it was fading. It was a bit of a thing. People didn't see it, and so he retained his authority. But the problem was, really, was that Moses did not constantly live in the presence of God. He didn't have that constant connection. The glory failed, faded. Now, as New Testament Christians, we, New Testament Christians, we often forget how great the glory of the presence of God is. But if you try and read through the Bible, you kind of get stuck at the second half of Exodus with this huge description of the tabernacle. Why is it so complicated? Because the presence and glory of God is so awesome and brilliant and amazing and exhilarating that the sinful people needed to be protected from it. To go into the presence of God was a huge privilege. It would just make your heart beat. And yet, Paul says in the gospel, that is the privilege of every believer. And the point that Paul makes here is that it does not fade. It is the constant reality that we have in the gospel. The Christian life is not about mountaintop experiences. That's our felt experience. But the truth of what we have through the power of spirit and through the work of Christ is that that lasting glory is our treasured possession every day, even if you don't feel it. It doesn't require special music. It doesn't require a special place. It doesn't require a special conference. It doesn't require lots of people gathering together and singing hymns. The reality of however close you have felt to God, you're probably more close than that in reality. You just didn't feel it. And that is true of you every single day because of the work of Christ in the gospel. So don't look back to glory days. God is with you right now as much as he was then because the gospel doesn't fade. And the second thing that's a great encouragement is that we constant connection to God's glorious presence is something that each one of us has. In verse 18, Paul talks about we all contemplate the Lord's glory. And he says if anyone turns to Christ, there's a way of preaching or teaching or ministry or the Christian life where you live through someone else's spiritual experience where the preacher stands up here and tells them you what a great experience you've had with God from this passage and he passes it on to you. That's dangerous. We don't have to live through other people's spiritual experience. Everybody who is a believer in Christ can gaze directly on the face of Christ and if they accept his forgiveness they can experience that glory in his heart. If you have an experience that, that, yeah, please talk to somebody and please make it your own. You don't have to live your Christian life through somebody else. And that's very popular, particularly with preachers on the internet, is that they talk about their spiritual experience and invite people to experience God through them. But gospel ministry is amazing because everybody can have that precious experience. Whoever turns to Christ, we all can have it. 
So there are three ways in which the message motivates us. It's a life-transforming power that brings life and peace. Sorry, it brings life and righteousness and not condemnation. It's Christ's heart-transforming power rather than preaching to closed and dull minds. And it's about a constant connection to God's glorious presence and not living off past highs or someone else's faith. So if that's the way the message motivates us, therefore, since we have such a ministry, we don't lose heart. But now moving on, the message actually gives us the method of how we go about this ministry. And looking at chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, and just two points. We just speak the truth about Jesus plainly. In Christ, the veil is taken away. When someone turns to Christ, he is the one who can transform hearts. I know it sounds obvious, but we need to speak about him. Transforming glory is in the face of Christ. It's not the good news about our church. It's not the good news about my personal story. It's not the good news about my generic faith in God. But it's about Christ. And it's actually a wonderful way to do ministry. One of the problems that you come across if you try and share the gospel with someone is someone has to accept that they're a sinner. And I'm not very good at going and telling someone, by the way, do you know that you're a sinner? It's not very easy to do. It doesn't kind of naturally come up with conversation. And many people, particularly in the culture I live in, um, they don't like to be shamed. They don't like to think of themselves as sinners. But the wonderful thing is when you read a story about how Christ met someone in the Gospels, Christ has this wonderful gift of being able to simultaneously show people that they are a sinner, but at the same time offer them forgiveness and acceptance. So I think what I've found in my experience is when someone sees Christ, he shows them that they're a sinner. When they look at him, they realize. You know, the the woman at the well in John chapter 4 is a wonderful example of this, how just Jesus graciously causes her to admit her sin. There's so many other people too. When Jesus heals the paralytic in Mark 2, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And no one denies that this man is a sinner. Christ... Can, has this, when people look at Christ, he has this wonderful way of showing people that they're sinners, and yet at the same time that he, can, that he can forgive them. And some of the themes that Christ brings out are so relevant to our culture today. He reaches out to the disgraced. He cares about those whose society excludes. He is against religious hypocrisy. He is so wonderfully and beautifully relevant We set forth the truth about Jesus plainly. And just reading the Gospels with people who are interested in Jesus, God has used that time and time again in our ministry to help people come to Christ. It's wonderful to see. And the second thing, the second way that the message gives us the method is that we rely on God to work through his word. Now there is a spiritual dimension to sharing the Gospel. Paul says in In chapter 4, that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And that's one of the reasons why I'm here today, to talk to you, why I've bothered to fly over 3,000 miles. Because we need your help through prayer. It is a spiritual battle. But we do rely on God and the power of his spirit. As we preach the word, and as we speak the truth plainly about Jesus, it is God who makes light shine in people's hearts. The competence comes from God. And Paul doesn't mention it here. But the obvious conclusion is that 
You help us through your prayers. You are part of the ministry by praying for missionaries. So thank you so much and keep going with that. Don't give up in it. But Paul says that, and why do I say rely on God to work through his word? Well, what does Paul give as an example of how the power of God changes things? He says, let, he says just as God said, let there be light. God spoke and his words created life. And I believe in the same way that God's written word creates life in the people who read it. And so don't all just tell people about Christ. I want them to see Christ in God's word. And we're talking about the heart transforming power. Wouldn't it be convenient? Like, how do you change somebody's heart? Yes, through the Spirit and Christ. But you need something kind of to change somebody's heart. You need kind of a tool that will help you. Something that's kind of sharp and penetrating. Almost that's something that's kind of double-edged. It's so sharp and could penetrate right into the soul and reveal the thoughts and inclinations of the heart. A few of you are smiling. Hebrews 4. You know, it's the word of God that does that incisive work in someone's heart. And this is what Paul says here. It's the word, just as the word of God created everything that we see. So the word of God, as people look at the face of Christ in the word of God in the Gospels, I firmly believe that he says that's what will create new life. The message of Christ's heart transforming power in the Gospel gives us the method. We talk about Jesus plainly and we rely on God to work through his words. So Gospel ministry is difficult. There are practical difficulties. It's uncomfortable, it's inconvenient. And there are emotional difficulties because it involves people. And they're going to let you down, they're going to hurt you. But just as the message gives us the method that we speak about Christ plainly from his word, the message gives us the motivation. That it brings life and righteousness in the place of condemnation. That it's about Christ's heart transforming power rather than just preaching to dull minds. And it's about a constant connection to the glory of Christ available to everybody when they turn to Christ. What a wonderful ministry. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. So what about me? How do I keep going? How do you keep going? Well, the answer's here. We look again at Christ. We look at what he has done for us. And let this excitement for him, excitement for what he has done for us on the cross, the righteousness he has given us, let that be what motivates us not to lose heart and to be very bold. Let's close by encouraging each other singing together a reminder of how great that gospel is. Great is the gospel of our glorious God. And then great is the mystery of godliness, how the Spirit works in our hearts as we gaze on Christ. And then how that hope of new life, the nations heard a dark world flame with light. As we remember how glorious this gospel is, may this song echo in our ears over the next weeks and days that we have such a gospel, therefore we will not lose heart. So let's stand as the music starts and encourage one another by singing these words.
to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore, and all the people said, Amen. Amen.